So last week, uh, Brandon shared a, a little bit about uh, the idea of, of people wanting to cancel out what it is that, that God is uh, doing through us, canceling Christmas, cancel, canceling uh, really the, the message of Jesus in the time, uh, in the world we're in today, in the, in the time of the church, and really in Christmas in general, uh, kind of taking the holy out of the holiday and, and that, that image. We talked about that last week. This idea that people want to get rid of, well, Jesus. The, the, the question I have, though, is, is that always the case? Um, is that always what people want? When I was, uh, recently I was, I was uh, watching a documentary, I heard about this, it's really interesting. You know the story of, of, of the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas? Uh, how that came to be and how that almost got stopped? Um, how many of you guys have already watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special, right? We've got, some of you guys have, it's coming for us. We will make our kids sit down and watch it with us. It's one of the things is my kids get to be like high school kids. They're like, thanks, dad. But someday, someday they will appreciate. So we're going to do that. Um, we're going to watch that. But there's an interesting thing about that. It's been going on since 1965, I believe. So we're talking, what is that, 55 years, right? And on every Christmas, and you guys are still watching it now, but it almost didn't happen, right? It was kind of a late thing that was called for, and Charles Soltz said, that's fine. He put it together, and then NBC, NBC's like, we're not going to show this uh, because of a couple things. There are actually three reasons why they didn't think it was going to work. One, it had that jazz music in it, right? And, 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 the, and the producers thought, there's no way that Kids are going to enjoy this jazz music. It's just too boring. It's not going to work. Don't do it. How many of you guys love the music in Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Two, it can't work because you have only kid actors. There are no adults in this, and you have the kids acting out all the parts. There's actually never an adult in a Charlie Brown thing. What do the adults say in Charlie Brown? Wah, 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 right? That's all that they say. There are no adults. And actually, it says that the kids, they were like, we can't have kids acting these parts out because they're not going to do a good job. How many of you guys love the kids' voices in Charlie Brown, right? This is the thing. The third thing they said in Charlie Brown Christmas, they said, you can't have this because nobody wants to sit and listen to Linus tell the Christmas story, right? They said, nobody's going to sit through that. You're not going to have any kids sit there and listen to this guy ramble on about the Bible. There's no way that that's going to happen. It's not going to happen. 55 years later, we're still talking about Linus saying, and they were sore afraid. I don't actually know what sore afraid is, but, uh, but anyway, they, they go through this, and it's a, it's a thing. The, the people at the studio thought there's no way that people would want the Bible, so they tried to cancel it out, but people do. We do that sometimes. If you like, are like me, and some, maybe you're not. Maybe you haven't grown up in church, or maybe um, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, and, and so this isn't a big deal to you. But if you did grow up in church, or you spent most of your life in church, there has come a time, I can almost guarantee it, when you canceled yourself. I remember the first time for me that it really stood out. I was in middle school. I was at Hoover Middle School, and, and there was a guy, I think his name was Sam, and he was super fired up about his faith, right? He was I, I, running around at lunch one day just talking to people about Jesus, trying to get people to come to church with him. We've got some kids like that that are super excited about their faith and inviting people to church. And as he was talking, I just wanted him to shut up. I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable I didn't know what to do. Part of it was because I wasn't that kid, but part of it is because I just, I was like, they don't, they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear. You should just stop talking. You should just stop doing this. And if we're honest, the majority of us as followers of Jesus have come to places where 
Like the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, I, I, I want you to go pray with this person. And you're like, no, not going to do it. Or I, I want you to stand up for that person over there that's being made fun of or being attacked. I want you to stand up and you're like, I, I, I just won't. What we're going to talk about today is how we can go against the idea of canceling Jesus out of culture. You see, 700 years before Jesus, uh, the prophet Isaiah prophesied by the word of God that and the virgin will be with child and she will bear a son and that son will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. God with us is something that God has always desired. I love the understanding of Emmanuel, that God is with us, that he wants to be with us, that he wants to walk with us. And Jesus came and he, he was with us and they canceled him, they killed him. But after that, he said, I'm going to go and when I go, I'm going to send my spirit to be with you. The paraclete, he will walk alongside you, he will be with you and it'll be better. I, the spirit of God is with us. As followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God is with you. And if the Spirit of God is with you, this season that we're in and the world that we're in today, when everything is spinning out of control, we get to be, we get to be a picture of the, of the love of God and the power of God in a world that sorely needs it. And so we're going to jump into a, a passage today that is unlike any passage you've probably ever heard in a Christmas sermon. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12 starting in verse 9. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and hop over there. It's a really great passage. It's about, a lot of it's about interpersonal relationships. Um, Paul is talking to the church and he's saying, look, this is what we can look like. This is how we can look. But my proposal to you is that if we live this out, what we're going to do is show the world why it is that Jesus matters. We're going to show the world uh, why, you know, we're complaining about taking Christ out of Christmas. Why it is that nobody would really want to take Christ out of anything. We're going to show the world something different. So starting in verse 9 through verse 12, uh, we're going to see some commands and some challenges on living a different life. Let's take a, let's take a look here, guys. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. All right, so, so Paul starts this conversation out. Now, this is a commandment that's for everybody. It's, it's understood within the Greek that this is for everybody. And it's, it's a bunch of directives. Love, love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. All of these things that Paul says here are, are commands. They're urgent commands to live out, right? They're, they're, they carry with them a sense of urgency, a sense like you should do this now. Now, now the first question I've got, um, because all of these things seem like they're, they should be obvious. I mean, you've heard a ton of sermons. If you've been in the church long, you've heard sermons about uh, hating what is evil and holding fast to what is good and, and loving one another and outdoing one another and showing honor and, and, and being fervent in prayer. You, you've heard sermons about this and the urgency that it involves. But the question I have for you as we get going today is, 
why do we have to have this commanded to us in the first place? Why do we have to have these things commanded to us at all? There's no verse in the Bible, and I've said this before, there is no verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt breathe. Why not? Because you're just going to breathe. Right? In fact, if you try to hold your breath long enough, you might be able to make yourself pass out. But what's going to happen as soon as you pass out? You're going to go, <gasps> I just couldn't make it work, right? You can't not breathe. It's just what you do. There is no commandment for it because it's what you do. You know why all of these things are commanded? Because we're not going to do them. We're not going to show urgency for these things. And all of these things are listed in a way that is very urgent. It's something we are called to do, not later, but now. Let your love be genuine or authentic, not hypocritical is really the picture there. That word is, let the, what is coming out of you, the actions that come out of you, be genuine actions. You should hate evil, but hold fast to what is good. Love with brotherly affection and outdo each other in honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. See, don't be lazy in your zeal. This is why this is a command. How many of you guys woke up this morning saying, I want to be more lazy? We got one. I appreciate her honesty, right? She's, she's like, I, I, would, I don't want to have to work this hard. I want to be more lazy. None of us are saying, other than her, saying that we want to be more lazy, right? All of us are saying, I want to work harder. How many of you guys are saying, I wish I wasn't as lazy as I am? Or, okay, that, that's me, right? We have this battle. But Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is saying, with the Holy Spirit living in you, make these things urgent. Make your love for others urgent. Make your, your, uh, your desire for the Spirit to be urgent. Rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Why aren't they always urgent? I think... Well, the biggest reason I could tell, I was actually talking with a friend about this this week, um, a couple friends of mine, and, and, and he was saying, look, these are things that we all want to do, right? All of us want to do these things. All of us want to be people who are prayerful people. All of us want to be people who are kind to other people. We want to be people who make a difference in the lives of other people, but we put those things off until later because we have things that are more important for us, right? Someday I'm going to be a prayerful person, Someday I'm going to be a kinder person. Someday I'm going to be the type of person who's going, to, who's going to show honor to other people someday, but right now I can't because. There is this thing. It's called the tyranny of the urgent. You know what the tyranny of the urgent is? It's this idea that there is always something that is coming into your life that you have to do now that is a tyrant, and it takes over what your life has to do. It may be right now the, the idea that you have to get a car fixed, right? Or it may be right now that you're, you're trying to get your 401k in order. You're trying to, to get life in order. You're trying to make sure your kids just get, get online and do school instead of getting online and doing YouTube. It may be trying to do all of these things, and all of those things matter. But all of those things push out our walk with Jesus if we let them be the main thing. And we say to ourselves, I'll do it someday. But what the tyranny of the urgent does, the tyranny of the urgent keeps us from having an urgent faith. It keeps us from having a faith that is urgent because we're focused on what is most urgent to us in this very moment. 
We focus on what we, we feel like we need to do instead of what it is that we should be doing. When it can be both. The tear and the urgent keeps me from having time in my life to go and pray with my coworker. This happens at the church, by the way. I'm not just speaking this hypothetically or hypocritically. I'm not just speaking this hypothetically. There are times when I should go pray with Tim, but I'm more focused on other things that I want to get done. And if I can't do that here, how much harder is it for somebody at work who's worried about whether or not you're even going to be accepted? Tim's not going to make fun of me for praying with him this time. Um, right? This is, this is just the, the way that we are. We are constantly focused on other things. And so Paul says, instead of doing that, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Make an urgency to your faith. And that will look like this. Look in verse 13 through 16. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So Paul goes from his urgency to this, this place where we can find ourselves to be arrogant. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless them and don't curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, and live in harmony with one another, associating with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Basically, pour yourself into other people instead of seeing yourself as number one, right? Uh, I believe that this is one of the primary drivers on why it is that people sometimes struggle with us as Christians. If you're a follower of Jesus, I, I think that one of the things that can really turn the world against us is this feeling that even though we claim to serve a God who was humble enough to die for us, sometimes we have a hard time dying for other people. We have a hard time pouring ourselves out for other people. It says they're contributing. Let's just look at the hospitality for a second, right? Hospitality. What is hospitality? Hospitality, the idea here is inviting somebody into your life, is inviting somebody into your home and, and, and showing them, pouring yourself out in that Middle Eastern type image of like somebody asks for help and you open up your home to that person. Uh, in, in James, James actually talks about this. He says, when somebody shows up at your door, knocking on the door, and they open the door and they say, hey, I'm cold and I'm hungry, your job is not to say to them, okay, I will pray that you go get some food and I will pray that you find a blanket and slam the door on them. Your job is to open the door and make them warm. But as followers, it's very hard for us to act that out. We live in a world that actually takes advantage of that. I, I read an article here. It was actually in. It was what's called the Christian Standard. It's a magazine. It was 10 years ago. Um, but there was a, an article by a lady who was homeless at one time. And she had uh, since said, had found a home. She was actually following Jesus and was in a church. And, uh, but she was talking about her life when she was homeless. And she said this, what I needed, what I needed was somebody to, to, to take me and ask me to, to go eat with them, to go and sit and have a meal and talk. But that's not what I wanted. What I wanted was for you to hand me money. But here's the thing. What you wanted to do was to hand me money because it was easier than taking me to eat. And so we had this little agreement 
that you were going to give me money and I was going to take your money and everybody was going to be happy. That one sentence hit me so close to home because I could see it in myself. As Paul is talking to us now about our own lives and about, uh, he's talked about the urgent faith and now he's moved on to showing hospitality and opening ourselves up and not seeing ourselves as haughty, not seeing ourselves as too good for things, but laying ourselves down. The, the, one of the primary drivers that, that holds us back is, is that ability to simply open ourselves up. What if we were people who showed hospitality, or as he says here, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? When kids are little, they have a hard time when their siblings get accolades, right? When it, if, you, if you have little kids and you give one of the kids an ice cream cone, all the kids have to have an ice cream cone. And then if you say, but it's Joey's birthday, so Joey got an ice cream cone. Then you have the other kids are saying, well, why do you hate me and you wish I was never born? You're like, wait a second, that's not what I said. I'm just giving Joey an ice cream cone. Thankfully, as we get older, we don't do that anymore, right? As we get older, we don't care if our coworkers get raises and we don't get raises. Right? We, we don't care if, if they get recognized with special awards and, and we get extra hours. And do, we don't care. We don't do a good job of rejoicing when others get accolades. One of the things that we can understand, and it's actually such a wonderful thing when we get it, is that the world is not a zero-sum game. Now, you may not understand what I mean by that. Like, if somebody else gets credit, that doesn't mean that you lost. We're not in constant competition. And as Paul says this, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, what he's sharing with us is this, this idea. Because Jesus died for you, there's nothing that this world can give you that you don't already have. So you can rejoice when other people celebrate and you can lay yourself and be able to weep with people and mourn with people when they're having a hard time without saying, well, ah, I'm, not, I'm not the type of person to be able to handle that. You can be a person who's not haughty, but associate with the lowly and not be wise in your own sight. We can be people who do humble things. And in that, we start to show something different. Maybe people will be less likely to cancel us out. Not all the way, because we have to deal with this last part here. Verse 17 through 20. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. So Paul then turns to the thing that would, the, the elephant in the room on all of this. Repay no one evil for evil, but give, as, uh, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul turns to the big struggle 
I don't want to tell you today that if we as followers of Jesus would just look like Jesus all the time, everybody is going to love us and they're going to want to hear what we have to say. I mean, I would love to tell you that, but it'd be a lie. Because the reality is sometimes people are just going to take advantage of you. And there are, if this time next year, by this time next year, the church was just who the church was called to be and we lived this out constantly, I believe that the church would be much bigger than it is even in the time of COVID, but I still know that there would be people doing hateful things because we live in a world of sin and people do wrong to other people. I, if we were to circle up in this room and make a circle with all of us together, we're not going to do that, so don't bust into the cold sweat, but if we were to, to circle up and, and just say, hey, share your stories. We would hear awful things. Awful things that people have done to some of the people in this room. Some of you have experiences I can't wrap my mind around. I know because I come from a family that has had some awful things. But in that picture, Paul is saying, don't seek vengeance, but as much as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. Uh, this is a hard message. Um, I preached about forgiveness here a few years back, and I was up here preaching, and there was a couple that was new to church, and they were super excited, super excited about the word. I'd been on the phone with them, was getting plugged into a small group. They were fired up. And as I was talking, I said, look, God has called us to forgive those who have sinned against us. To, let it, to, to forgive and, and, and to allow God to be the judge. And as I said that, the lady got up and she just like sped out, like threw people in out, and her husband got up and kind of chased her down. And I, I called him. I said, what's going on? And he said, well, we've actually been to a, quite a few different churches. She has had some awful things happen to her in her life, and every time somebody says, you've got to forgive, it's just more than she can handle. That is honest. That's the burden. But what Paul is calling us to here is to understand that Jesus has actually paid for our sins so that we don't have to carry around the sins of everybody else. I love verse 18. I love it. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on you. You're not going to be able to get peace with everybody. You're just not. There are people in this world that, regardless of what you do for them, are not going to like you. Anybody ever had somebody like that? You're like, I tried. Didn't work. But it doesn't change your responsibility. Actually, Jesus talks about this. He says we should be peacemakers, right? Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You know what peacemaker is? In, in the Greek, it carries around this idea. It's a beautiful idea. You ever had somebody, when they left the room, you could just tell that they had been there because it smells nicer, right? Or, or everything is a little more organized. It's a little more clean. It just feels like, ah, that person has been. You know what I'm talking about? What that person did is they left something beautiful in their train is, what that's, is that idea. And, and the idea of a peacemaker is somebody who leaves peace in his train or peace in her train. So when they've left the room, there is peace behind them. The picture that Paul is painting here 
The picture of who we can be by the blood of Jesus, by the work of Jesus, is people who leave peace in our train. Well, how do we do that? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is angry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. I've always found that funny, right? Like you're going to, loving that person, you're going to end up making them like burning coals on the head. Well, that's another story entirely. But the idea here is that we don't have to seek vengeance. We don't have to seek vengeance when somebody has done us wrong. We don't have to seek that out. And in actuality, we have to trust that God is going to be the one who has the vengeance. He is the one who is going to take take care of it. Our job is to simply love somebody when they have been hateful to us because in doing so, there is a chance that it changes them. Basically, the concept is this. You can't throat punch somebody to heaven. Somebody does, you, does wrong, somebody hates Jesus, you can't sit there and punch them and beat them until they realize, oh, shoot, I didn't realize I'd messed up. And if you're married, you know that this is true because you're not going to change your spouse's opinion by yelling at that person. Fair enough. It just doesn't work. It's that true with every stage of life in every relationship. The only way that we can change people is by showing them something different than they already know. And all of us know how to seek vengeance. When we show people the love of Jesus in such a powerful way, they will have to deal with the fact that that is different than something I understand. They may very well take advantage of it. But you're opening the door for change. And that's why it's our job to love those who hate us. But it leads to the harder question. And this is honestly the thing that stops me, that stopped me for this from a long time, for a long time, from this for a long time. I had for years a lot of struggle trusting God with vengeance. You know why? Because I wanted vengeance, but I knew that God was a good God and he probably wasn't going to have vengeance on the stuff I thought needed to be venged. I mean, he forgave me. And if he would forgive me, that means he could forgive other people too. But in doing so, what I'm doing is I'm losing sight of the God who wants to be with me. God with us means that God wants to be with us in our flaws and in our failures. And if he decides that somebody else deserves the grace that he has given me, in that I can see through the eyes of God more joy than I could ever have through my own vengeance. In that, in seeing that, I'm going to see something different. And that gets us to our bottom line. Our bottom line is simply a verse. It's verse 21. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I didn't put it on the screen because I wanted you to hear it. 
I want you to think it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is something you can memorize. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How are we going to change the world? By not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. How are we going to see Jesus change the hearts of people around us? By us not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. How are we going to get to the place where the last thing that people want to do at Christmas is get rid of Jesus. By us not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. And it, it, by, in order to do that, we're going to have to do a couple things. One, one way to own it. Be proactive in your kindness. Hey, we live in New Mexico. In New Mexico, nobody's nice until you're nice to them. Right? That's just the reality. Once you're nice to them, they might be nice to you. But it's not going to happen beforehand. We're all second-level nice people. Right? What I want to ask you to do today as a follower of Jesus, is to be proactive instead of reactive. You be the proactive one. Because of what Jesus has done for you, you break down the wall, and there's a good chance that that person wants to be nice too. They just don't know that you do. You ever had that conversation with somebody at Walmart or something? And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, wait, you're being nice to me. I guess we can get along now. This is how the world can be. By not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. And lastly, Make the right things urgent. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sounds really good on a Sunday morning in a church service. It's a whole lot harder on a Monday at home or at work, on the road, when everything is spinning and going out of control. Tomorrow, other things are going to be more urgent than this message today. So what I want to ask you to do is to get up in the morning and pray, God, make your will urgent in my life. If you need to write that down on your hand, if you need to put a reminder in your phone next to your alarm, wake up and make God urgent. That will help you to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. And man, that's what we're here for. That's how we show people that God is with us. Almighty God, God, I'm tired of being overcome by the grind. But God, I know that this is going to be hard. Lord, as a father with his children, I pray that you would put us in a place to do hard things. Take us to a place where, you, where we do hard things and you carry us through them, where you show us how to do this because, God, I don't always know how to forgive. I don't always know how to not seek vengeance. I don't know how to open up my home. I don't know how to make these things urgent. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, your counselor in us, would counsel us towards these things. That you would be strong within us, that you would make us strong. And that you would give us the strength to overcome evil with your good. Guide our steps this week, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.